What's happening, weirdos? This is Robin Henderson Espinoza. Robin is a theologian and ethicist based in Nashville, Tennessee. This is one of my favorite conversations of all time. This is absolutely one of my favorite episodes of all time. I can't wait for you to hear it. I do want to say up top that uh, there's some Enneagram chat up top. I know you know that I love the Enneagram. The Enneagram is uh, is, is basically a very, very old personality uh, analysis. Um, if you get to that part and we start talking about who's a five and who's a three and who's a seven uh, and you're bored or don't know what we're talking about, please know that it only lasts uh, maybe 30 seconds to a minute. Please don't turn it off. We get so good, so deep, uh, and so beautiful, and I, I would really hate for you to jump ship. I, I just remember making a, a mental note to mention that, so here I am mentioning it. Uh, a couple things to mention up top. First and foremost, I hope everybody is healthy and safe. I know this is a stressful time. I hope uh, this episode and this show in general gives you a little bit of relief uh, from that. I know it is for me. I do want to give a shout-out to the Pete's Picks. As you guys know, I don't do traditional ads, but the way we support the show is by my promoting things that I actually use and actually love. The first Pete's Pick is Kachava. You guys know this if you've listened before. Kachava is a plant-based superfood drink mix. It's basically just a bag of chocolatey, good powder that you throw in with some water, you throw in with some almond milk, whatever you want. Get crazy. And it overloads your system with unbelievable superfood nutrition and keeps you full for hours, which is completely true, by the way. You can have one in the morning and you'll find yourself not hungry for four or five hours. It's unbelievable. I didn't even know that's what people were using it for. I am just into the way it makes me feel. It gives me a nutrition overload. I talked with Zach Braff a little bit about this in that episode. I find that giving my cells the nutrients they need helps me in just virtually every way, physical energy, emotional energy. And Kachava is 100% plant-based for people that are curious about getting more plants in their diet. It's got omega-3s, which we all know are important, but from chia seeds and flax seeds, not, as I always say, an anonymous barrel of miscellaneous fish that they press from the top and get some goo out. It's from plants. Eight super fruits are in the bag, 17 greens and veggies. Uh, in quarantine, I'm having a really hard time getting greens and veggies, or I would be if I wasn't taking my cachava every day. Wonderful way to get it in there. It's like a life hack. 17 greens and veggies in the bag. It's gluten-free, soy-free. There's no artificial sweeteners or preservatives, but it's delicious because I use coconut nectar, which is a low glycemic sweetener. So it has some sweetness. Very, very delicious. Very, very tasty. Mixes with the raw cacao in there, which is a wonderful superfood to give it a uh, chocolatey sweet or a vanilla sweet, if you're nasty. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, I swear you'll enjoy. I always joke that Val doesn't like a lot of the weird superfoods that I have, but she does enjoy cachava when I make it for her. There's 1,000 milligrams of adaptogens in it, 24 grams of plant-based protein. There's your answer for where vegans get their protein or people that just like getting plants in their body. 24 grams of protein in a liquid form, getting into your cells quickly and easily. Nine grams of fiber, actually delicious. Can't stress this enough. The raw cacao, the maca root, which is wonderful for energy and vitality. Obviously, cacao is a wonderful mood elevator. This isn't like over-the-counter, you know, Hershey bar junk chocolate. This is real as a nut. Cacao is a nut. 
We are getting... <laughs> cacao is a nut. I say seriously. Cacao is a nut. Uh, it's a wonderful mood elevator. It's a wonderful source of uh, magnesium and hard-to-find nutrients. The whole bag is a source of hard-to-find nutrients that are going to make you feel incredible. Meal in a pill, meal replacement, smoothie in three seconds. Just put it in water, shake it up, and you're good to go. I swear by it. I'm always turning friends on to it. And if you want to support this show and do your body a favor, go to Kachava, Kachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird. And if you go to that landing page, you will get 20% off and show your support of this podcast. So thank you to our friends at Kachava. Speaking of superfoods, we have a new, or it's been a couple weeks now, but a uh, new pizza pick here. My friend David just turned me on to the health benefits of a superfood known as noni. And I have been drinking and enjoying Tahitian noni juice, Tahit Nonju, as I like to call it. Noni is a Tahitian superfruit known for its medicinal properties. It's been used for thousands of years as an ancient health remedy, and it turns out that that ancient wisdom is scientifically proven. It's been shown to boost immune activity and naturally enhance energy and support overall wellness. Uh, I was a little bit skeptical. I looked into it. Uh, Four ounces twice a day. Uh, They have peer-reviewed clinical double-blind studies uh, that they did with a placebo, and it showed that four ounces twice a day increases your NK, your natural killer cells, which are the cells that help your immune system stay powerful, increases your count of NK cells. There's Brody. By thir- Thank you, Brody. By th- He's a big fan. I don't know if you can even hear that. I'm stopping because the dog is barking. Increases NK cells by 30%. So I've been, I just have the bottle in my uh, refrigerator door. Take it out. Chug it. Four ounces twice a day. 30% more ammunition to fight off uh, infection, disease, whatever it may be. Keep your immune system healthy and powerful. Uh, It basically tastes like pomegranate juice is what I think it tastes like. It's a mix of noni and blueberry, both superfruits, 275 nutrients and phytonutrients, key vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. Uh, It's vegan, obviously. It's gluten-free. It's non-GMO. naturally enhances energy overall wellness, and as I mentioned, increases your NK cells by 30%, which is incredible. I've been taking it now for three weeks. I will say that I look forward to it. I find it to be energy boosting, and I I can't speak to my, I can't feel my NK cells, but I trust the science. So if you want to try it, they are offering a special deal to uh, the listeners of this podcast, a one liter bottle of Tahitinonju. Tahitian noni juice, and their uh, correlating supplement called Cell Defense, which is clinically shown to help your body fight inflammation. Inflammation, of course, being the corresponding trouble with so many things. That's how I explain it. I'm not a scientist. Inflammation, bad. It's usually $100, but if you use this landing page and this code, not only will you show your support for this always free podcast, but you'll be doing something healthy for your body, and it's only 40 bucks. Noni, N-O-N-I, New Age, NoniNewAge.com slash Weird40. Give it a try. I think you'll like it, and you'll show your support of this show. That's a lot of superfoods, but what can I say? They're super. It's right there in the name. Get loaded on nutrition. That's what I'm about. Keep your mood up. Keep your health up. Feel good. I'm happy that Kachava and Tahit Nonju are supporting this episode. I'm so excited. I have nothing else to plug. Isn't that funny? It used to be tour dates and stuff. Isn't it weird that I used to get in a tube filled with strangers? No one was wearing a mask and fly to a place, to a room with no windows 
and just entertain people all breathing the same air. Then afterwards, I'd hug people. Man, I can't wait to get back to that. I miss you guys. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. Enjoy the wonderful frequency and love that I uh, that Robin and I created uh, and that I enjoyed. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this one. Um, do check out Activist Theology. That's Robin's book. And in the meantime, enjoy one of my favorite conversations of my life. Thank you, Science Mike, for, for hooking us up. Get into it. There you are. Yeah. Hey, look at you. You got a real rig. Thank you so much. Yeah, because I run a podcast, so like yeah, you. Sure. So I got to have a thing. Yeah, but I don't have a thing. You're killing it. <laughs> well, what do you use? Uh, I have this uh, snowball guy here. Oh, so we were using a um, um, one of those blue microphones, and yeah. our our audio was trash. Yeah, no, I don't even know if ours is good. Tony, no. <laughs> let's ask Tony. Tony, how's it sound? It sound okay? It's uh, it's you know all things considered with the Zoom setup, it's not so bad. Robbins is better. The uh, they're they're oh, pretty really? they're pretty equal. Yeah, really? equal right now. I mean, oh. in this scenario, yeah, maybe because, not normal. Because you're you're we're going through a, a Zoom channel. Everything yeah, changes. everything changes. The voice over IP, I think it diminishes the sound a little bit. Yeah. Well, from where I'm sitting, you sound great, and thank great. you so much for doing this. Yeah, well, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, where am I talking to you? Where are you? Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, that's great. I love Nashville. Yeah. I was just yeah. there. Yeah, in fact, Mike said that um, he had passed along my name to you several months ago, and I saw that you were coming to Nashville, and I was going to try to link up with you, but... Oh, that would have been fun. Yeah, but it just didn't, just didn't work out. I was there. Yeah, that's right. I was at Zany's. Yeah. That's one of the last, man, I sort of wish I could go back because doing five shows, I know you're a a public speaker as well. And doing a lot of shows can get tiring. And if somebody had come back and been like, this is going to be the last weekend. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, I gave it my all, but I would have tap danced out onto the stage. Totally. So happy to see everybody. Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine you're like me in that the next time you're speaking in front of a group, I, I, whether you're in the audience or on stage, we'll, we'll never take it for granted again. I'll never just be like, okay, yeah, another audience. Here yeah, we go. yeah, totally. It's going to be so special. Um, are you from there? I, I'm realizing I did some research. Okay. Talk to science, uh, Mike, our friend, a little bit. Yeah. But this is sort of an exciting episode for me. I know very little. Um, and I'd love to just start with where you're from and, and growing up and all that, because I know we have a lot of interesting theology and yeah. some, some theory to get into. Yeah. I'd love to start with you as, as a person and a little bit of your story. Great. I love it when people humanize me instead of fetishize and, you know, you know I watch some interviews and they're like, so what is queer? And I'm yeah. like, I don't, how, I don't know. I would so much rather talk yeah. about your parents, your siblings, where yeah. you're from. When yeah, great. It was like all that. You can take that question however you like. Great. Okay. I love talking about roots. <laughs> Me too. I love it too. I wonder are you do you know the Enneagram? Oh yeah, I'm a big I'm a I'm a big Enneagram whore. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say your number, you said a whore. What is your number? I'm a five. You're five. Oh, do you know Michael Gunger? Yeah. 
he's my my dear friend and he's a five so whenever i meet a five i go like i like fives i think yeah. i'm misusing the enneagram i use it what's your number pattern i'm a three you're a three okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if i'm supposed to apologize i'm doing all this reading i'm reading richard Rohr's book about the enneagram mm-hmm. right now and boy we're we're a slippery bunch yeah it's like the Bill Clintons and the and the right. like the people that lie to themselves. I right. really, oh my God. I had a really interesting conversation in my brain this morning where I was like, where are we lying to ourselves? And mm. my brain was like, Well, no, okay, listen, we have things that are true, and you're saying we won't know they're not true because we're us, but we're saying they they work. And we're like, and I'm like, wow, this is gonna yeah. be it was dramatized in my head. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I don't have a shot. I, yeah. I think I need somebody from the outside. Yeah. Which luckily I, I have Val and friends to help point out my bullshit, but I yeah. know I'm full of it somewhere. Yeah, I'm partnered with a two. Uh-huh. That's and, nice. Hey, Michael, and, with a two. Mm-hmm. And so fives and twos make a very good match. The thing is, is fives have a hard time recognizing their feelings which is like super true for me. And I'm also an academic. So I just live in my head all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. But being with a two who is an empath, she can feel my feelings before I can even feel them. So she will often at dinner. So what's going on? And and it will take me a long time. And then finally it will come out in tears and everything. And she was like, that's great. What a gift. Yeah. That's a great pairing. Yeah. And I'm happy that Val is a nine and she, uh, by the way, it doesn't even really matter if people don't understand exactly what we're talking about. We're just talking about personality types. Yeah. Nine is, um, I don't even know the one word for it, but she, she mirrors people. Well, aren't nines a peacemaker? Peacemaker. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nines are like even keel. Like you can all, they're solid all the time. That's what, that's certainly yep. true of Val. The yep. danger of a nine, especially when you're with a three. So a three is an achiever and the five is the challenger, I believe. No, the uh, observer. Oh, eight is the challenger. Yeah. I didn't think you were an eight. Uh, five, I just thought it was the, the academic was the one that likes to question things. You well, But I go to eight. I go to eight in integration. Uh, so I can be challenging. Yes. You know, but yeah, I'm yes. an observer. So I'm always taking in information. I'm an information whore is what I like to say. You've been at your double whore so far. You're I am a, yeah, whore yeah. an information whore and that's wonderful. I go to nine. So when I'm stressed, is that what you mean? You go to eight when you're stressed? No, I, I go to, um, I go to seven when I'm stressed. Whoa. I feel yeah. like that's a good thing. Seven is the enthusiast. Right. Rabel Ra uh, is always my consummate seven. Yeah. It's just the guys that like, of course they want to go surfing. The water right. Perfect. Right. Uh, and they're so happy and excited for you. Um, seven is my second number. It's tied for second. Mm. But I feel like a seven being enthusiastic would be wonderful. If you got stressed about your school or your project or, or whatever it is you were working on, you become a seven. I feel like Yeah, except... Good. Except there was this one time when I dated a seven and it was a disaster. <laughs> so I'm like, I want to always integrate to eight. I never want to be stressed and go to seven. Well, I'm glad you have some eight qualities because we, we've talked a lot about the Enneagram on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I and this is what's great about eights. I'll see tweets. People are like, back off the eights, man. Yeah. Because like, 
Yeah. We'll just paint with very broad brushes. Right. We'll be like Trump. We think Trump might be an eight. Eights are the guys that fight. But like, I know you're a theologian, so I'll speak freely. I believe St. Paul was an eight. Uh, eights are, are, are people that love to say what they're thinking and yeah. wonder what they're about. And that's right. the pleasure of them. Yep. It, what it, what it, can you speak well of of your eight side? I mean that there's a real yeah. Side. I mean I mean I think that I go to I, I tell people I extra I get paid to extrovert, but I'm I'm an intense introvert, and so I think you know when I travel and speak, that's when I go to eight, and I'm able to say things maybe that other people wouldn't be able to say. I'm also a light skinned Latinx. I'm white passing, and so. I can say things that darker skinned people cannot in crowds of white folks. Hmm. So I think that's when I go to eight and when I'm able to challenge the status quo and challenge the norm. That's a really great thing to identify and to use, right? I mean, some people could be like, hey, the term white passing makes me uncomfortable because it makes it sound like, I don't know. It feels weird when a white person says white passing, but to use the term that you use, white passing, some people would be like, hey, I'm white passing. I'm going to have a fresca. Right, (laughs) right. I'm going to blend in and get into that potato salad. And you're like, oh, I'm white passing. I can get away with more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that white folks shouldn't say white passing, but people of color who are light skinned. Yeah. It's a it's a way to differentiate. Um, like I move in the world with power, privilege, and access because I am white passing, mm. and so it's a statement of my privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use that. It, I used to I used to say it's my burden, but but now I've reframed it as it's an opportunity for me to wow. to use this in a way to help to help create social liberation, to help create social healing. Um, because as you know, we live in a shithole world and um, it's, it's very scary right now. Yeah, absolutely. We're very so, far from roots. I know, but. Right. But there is a lot of pain and a lot of trouble yeah. and, you, and you work. One of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you is you are a person that's like, you don't just talk about it something that I would point the finger at myself is I, I talk about pain and suffering, but you're out there working for change. But I, I understand. Yeah, I could see yeah. you not wanting to take that, that uh, label necessarily. Um, but we're starting with theory, and I do want to start with you as a person. You yeah. are a five. I'm a five. You have uh, siblings. Tell me so, where you were raised. So I'm, I'm an only child born to a Mexican immigrant and an Anglo father. And I lived with my Mexican mother till I was about 12 in East Texas and Longview, Texas. They split up. They split up when I was very, I mean, I don't, I don't remember my dad being at home ever um, while they were together. Um, I went to, I'm sorry. It's it's harder over zoom. I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, if you were sitting on the couch right there, which is where we normally do it, I would have jumped in and been like, because I'm interested at the age when, when parents split up. I feel yeah. like a powerful thing. Yeah, they split up when I was maybe four or five. And, you know, I, I have fond memories of my dad coming on the on the weekends and picking me up from Applewood Daycare and taking me to Sonic to get a cherry limeade. And <laughs> I know it's horrible for you, like for your insides, but I still have, still would love to get a cherry limeade. 
Of course. My dad's been deceased for several years, but I have fond memories of that. Yeah. What did he, what, what was his vocation? He was a construction worker and self-employed and worked very hard. He was one of the first folks um, doing back in the day when cell phones were just becoming a thing. He would go in and do all the excavation work for cell phone towers. Oh, wow. So he would contract with Motorola, AT&T, all, you know, all the big carriers. Wow. And ahead of the ahead of the curve yeah, on that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he did a lot of construction work. I mean, he hauled cotton seed when I was very young. He always did construction work of some sort. Mm. But they split up when I was maybe four or five. And um my mom, who has a sixth grade education, decided to enroll me in Catholic school. And she knew that the church could do all the things that she couldn't do. That she could show me how to cook, show me how to, you know, take a bath. But in terms of education and spiritual care, she knew that the church could do that. So she enrolled me in Catholic school. But I never made my first communion, which is something that you do when you're enrolled in a parochial school because you're attending church and getting an education. Yeah. How did you and well, I had theological questions about the virgin birth. Oh, man, Robin, I love it. I <laughs> I was going to make a joke that you ran out of the room slippery no. and wet, and like you did, like you fled your first communion. Yeah. You yeah. didn't just like miss it or no one no. asked you. You no. were like, I don't know about the virgin birth. What a Yeah, great. yeah. And and uh, forgive me, but that's a very very uh, a touchy subject for Catholics specifically. Like, right. Anytime you're messing with the Virgin, right? Mary, I, my homeboy is Richard Rohr, and yeah. I can catch him as progressive as he is when he talks about the Virgin Mary. He's very careful about yeah. it. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't want to do that. So tell me that story. They're saying, well, Robin, we're going to give you your first communion. Yeah. So I just had these questions about. I just didn't believe. I just didn't believe, which which became like a recurring theme in my life, this struggle with doubt. And I think I just didn't buy it. You know, I just had questions and I you wanted more want information. Pretend. You didn't want to pretend. I didn't want to pretend. I mean, like I, I wanted to be authentic. Um, I, I was also attending a Baptist church at the same time as as I was attending Catholic school. And, and I had a real like come to Jesus moment at, at this Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And that felt authentic, like a authentic profession of faith, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I like to joke when I'm with my friends that, you know, I became a theologian at a very young age asking these questions and always very curious about the big questions in life. But it really was, it really was, I didn't do this. And I, literally sat in the pew and watched all of my classmates take their first communion, make this their is... first confession. Whoa. And I was there alone. You are badass. I know that was painful and I, totally. I, I empathize. I'm like you, by the way, I, I have to, people might be surprised to hear this, but I have to go in and find my emotions too. a very typical three thing, mm-hmm. but that's genuine. Like I'm like, that is a powerful thing. I'm interested, though, if you're at a Baptist church, you had kind of like a charismatic or a more uh, emotional. Well, I mean, I mean, I think it's all contrived, right? I mean, um, that's sort of my sense. It, it was a traditional Southern Baptist church. It wasn't super charismatic, very conservative, very um, fundamentalist in their theology. And um, 
And I, but I, I felt like I had found a home there. Now, of course, I was very young, and yes, I followed through with baptism and everything, but I was really charting this spiritual journey on my own. I didn't have any help from family or anything. I would literally get up, get myself ready, go to church. I would take the bus to church by myself. No one was forcing you to go to this weird Baptist church for you for saying weird. Man, dude, I was doing this on my own. Why? If you had doubt, why are you going to a a church you didn't have to go to? Well, I think that I've always looking for belonging. Yeah, I understand. And I think that's one of the reasons why I became a scholar, became an academic, is because um, ideas matter, and ideas make me feel like I belong. And... Yeah. And the idea of going to a church, being surrounded by people, like-minded people, I felt like maybe there was a chance for me to fit. Now, I've always been gender nonconforming. I've always felt different sexually. This was way before I came out as queer and trans, but I always felt a little bit different than everybody else. Yeah. But there was a but there was a space for me in that Baptist church. I was just going to say, it's such a, it's kind of a contradiction or, or strange, something strange is going on. Meaning the church is this, can be this inclusive thing on the surface. Yeah. So when I'm thinking of my youth group in my church, of course, I don't know if they're trans now. There were people that were like, yeah, this was probably a queer person. Yeah. And they came for the light of the community. And right. I go with my joke, the potato salad. Yeah. And, I found a lot of comfort in my church, even though I was dealing with my own doubts and whatever, that they were sort of morally obliged to be kind. Yeah. And so is that similar? Like everybody was nice? Totally. Totally. And I think too, you know, because I was living with a single parent that there was that much more affection for me that I was showing up in church and, and really it's, it's how I developed my moral compass Mm-hmm. good bad and different it's just what happened to me that i learned right and wrong from going to church now i have lots of critiques of of the institution and whatnot but um at that time it was a place of home for me and a place of belonging that's interesting i i remember at my i went to a, a bible college it's not really a bible college it's a christian college and our professor marv wilson was very adamant. He was he was the guy that was saying like the Old Testament is important. He was the OT professor. Yeah. And he was like, people are always putting it aside, but they're like, our culture, sort of like you, for better or worse, is built on the Ten Commandments. He's like, yeah. that's where the country learned its basic ethics. Because yeah. that was, believe it or not, kind of revolutionary that we were like, okay, here's the things you shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I when I was 12, I m- moved to live with my dad also there's someone mowing the lawn outside my window i'm sure you can hear that where i, like, I if used that's your, if that's your partner vacuuming maybe we could ask them to stop but if that's a lawnmower uh what can we do yeah that he is like he's leaf blowing or something anyways it can't I, last long it'll no pass. um when i was 12 i moved to live with my dad in san antonio and oh, wow. as a way as a way to I think um, be stable. Um, My situation living with my mom was not good. We were in deep poverty. We had electricity off and on. Mm. Um, 
we, you know, food scarcity and whatnot. Um, she did not know how to manage her anger. And um, I, I was the, the beneficiary of her, of her anger, if you will. I'm so sorry. And so I, um, I needed to get out. Right. And so I left when I was 12. It's, and before you were 12, I mean, this again sounds very much like if I was you, I'd be like, where is the church? Right. <laughs> like, right. They got pizza. If it's anything like my church, they got yeah. pizza. They got some safety. They have parents. Right figures too yeah exactly and i and i felt and it's a place where i felt safe and i didn't always feel safe at home and um yeah i mean you know i i can say that my mom was abusive Mm -hmm. and um i'm still dealing with that you know so i have this history of trauma and thank god for therapy you know um and thank god for supportive friends and colleagues and partners who love me through the dark times, you know? Yeah. But I moved to live with my dad to get out of that situation. And I went literally from poverty to affluence because he was doing very well. And so well that we had someone cleaning the house and cooking our food. So when I got up every morning, Elena was her name. She asked me, what did I want for breakfast? And what did I want for lunch? And what did I want for dinner? Wow. And she would make my bed and do my clothes. And I, I became friends with her. But it was a very, very different life. I can still I, wanted to go to church. Uh-huh. Can I ask a weird question? What, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say it in a funny way, but like, what took so long? If it was like you could be having that, there must have been a loyalty to your mom. Did you have some of that? I think I didn't know I had a choice. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I was 12 and it was – it was Mother's Day of 1989, wow. and and I didn't know that I had a choice before my dad asked me, is it time for you to come live with me? Oh, wow. Did he, I, I'm assuming he didn't know the details of your situation. He didn't know the details, and those details didn't come out for a very long time um, because I didn't know how to talk about abuse. I didn't know how to talk about how strange my situation was. Yeah. And, you know, like, thank God for my dad. I really felt like he rescued me. Um, But I went from an abusive situation to a situation where power and control was very present. Mm -hmm. And I write a little bit about this in my book around how my dad was trying to shape me into this Texas Republican. But but because I was gender nonconforming and felt sexually different – that I bucked the system in every turn mm. and and he just didn't know what to do um, with me. But, you know, I, I was gifted academically. And so I sank my teeth into school and, you know, I wasn't a kid who um, went to clubs or went to parties. I was in high school band and my big event was Friday night football games mm. and in the marching band and whatnot. Um, and those things really grounded me. And so I still have a love for music. And in fact, I, I went to college on a music scholarship um, before uh, what, I gave it up. What were you playing? Well, I was playing a wide variety of instruments, trombone and jazz band, uh, the euphonium or baritone for marching band and concert band. And then my senior year of high school, I played um, um, tuba, concert tuba, 
because the first year tuba guy um, was hit and killed by a car. Oh no. Yeah. So it was an emergent situation. So they moved me to tuba to play first chair tuba. I shared first chair with Jason on the euphonium and um, he was a, he was, I I think he was Mormon. And um, so there was even religion in you know different following you yeah yeah (laughs) okay you're telling such a fascinating story um i don't want to skip over too much you told me you you told your mom that you wanted to live with your dad on mother's day yeah i I, i'm not this is not a show where i'm trying to like just provoke you to have an, an emotional response i'm just saying what was it like you have an abusive uh, it, I don't know if your mom was borderline or if she was right. hot, cold or whatever was going on, but you had to basically break out of not prison, but you, you did a jailbreak of sorts, an emotional yeah. jailbreak. Yeah. How, how was that? And then I really want more detail on like your dad is like, Oh, I've saved you. And then you're like, Hey dad, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't even know how you articulated that. Yeah. Now we can just say I'm trans. Right. I need all the details. I need every detail. Let's start with yeah. mom and move to dad. Yeah. So um, that day I had gone to look for a friend of mine who had run away. And so I didn't come home after church. Mm. And my mom thought I had run away. And it was Mother's Day. I had not run away. I had gone to check on a friend who had run away. And you ran away by proxy. <laughs> right. Right. And and when I got home, a church deacon brought me home and um my mom was frantic and it was Mother's Day. And so she called my dad. And, you know, I think it was her last cry. You know, we were we were living on a shoestring. Um, I mean, we weren't making it in any way. And this was, this was really her ticket out too, because when I left, she ended up excelling at her job and became store manager and of Sears and um, grew a lot in the company for not having an education. So, You know, my leaving was salvation for both of us in many respects. Hmm. Um, That's sort of a gift, isn't it? Yeah, it was a gift. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a deep pain and a deep wound. And every Mother's Day, like I just don't do Mother's Day. Yeah, because for obvious reasons, like I just don't feel like I have the relationship with my mother to um, to wish her a a happy Mother's Day. I will to other people, and that's how I sort of mend myself a little bit. I will wish other people Happy Mother's Day, but it's really hard when it comes to my own mom. Yeah, but it, seeing as it could have gone the other way, you left yeah. and she was worse off. Right. There, there's there's a there's got to be a word in French for what this is. It's it's sort of like a happy tragedy. Right, that, that she did thrive. Right, and I'm right. just I'm happy for you that that that's the way that it went. I'm happy yeah, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be where I am today had I not left. Mm. Yeah. And so, this concept of leaving um, followed me. You know, yeah. not only did I leave my mom in that abusive situation, but I ended up, you know, leaving my dad because of his power and control issues. I ended up leaving the church because wow. they can't get their shit together. And ultimately, I end up 
leaving academia after the 2016 election because I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to do my own thing, you know? Wow. So that, so that, that is a constant thing that followed me. You're a warrior. That's the well, only word for it. And this I is don't know. right around that age. I'm yeah. saying it. You don't have yeah. to agree. But 12, 13, I know we're going to get into gender stuff. So it's interesting that I'm bringing up like a male induction, right? Yeah. But the, the idea that that's when you're coping with, death and loss and, yep. and uh, self-reliance that was imposed on you. Yeah. Usually women are just like, and I, I, I hate this because I have a daughter and I'm like, how am I going to teach her power and strength and all these things? Yep. Uh, usually, and I caught myself doing this, we go, oh, well, she'll get her period. And that's how women are right. brought into the dance. Right. Whereas men traditionally are like, we are going to have to dig your own grave in the right. desert. You know right. what I mean? Right. You, it's weird to be happy for somebody but because I see what it's doing in your life, you were inducted into like a very powerful, uh, it's not, obviously not a tradition because it was specific to you, but yeah. it's like a powerful tradition. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You're telling me that you, you move in with your dad. You, you, there's this power imbalance and it's sort of like a weird twilight zone dream that things are good, but under the surface, like you said, there's, there's, the, there's the imbalance and all these different things. And you have your gender identity. Yeah. And I'm saying we didn't have, now my mom, I always use my mom who's, you know, a 70 something year old woman. She knows what trans and trans is. At this point in Texas, you can't just say I'm trans. You need to have yeah. a gender reveal party for me or whatever right. it is. Right. You, how, how did you identify yourself? I mean, you didn't even have those, those. Yeah. Words. I didn't have that language. Um, yeah. You know, I, I knew that I didn't feel like I was a girl, but I also didn't feel like I was a boy. Hmm. And, you know, there was there were certain expectations that my dad wanted me to meet, and it just didn't feel right to me. Like, like if you see my high school senior picture, I, I did a glamour shot. Remember those? <laughs> I do, of course. With lasers? I hope you yeah. had lasers. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like all femmed up and I'm like, this is so not me. And it was like the only, but but it was like, that was an expectation. Of course. Right? I think we're the same age. We must be around the same age because I'm like, that is right in the yeah. pocket. If you're feeling conflicted, you don't know your identity, but you feel this imposition you're supposed to do this. You go to Glamour Shots. That right. should be on their car. Right, right, right. <laughs> but what was also happening during this time is I was recovering from two brain surgeries. I had a brain aneurysm when I was 16. Robin, what is going on? What is, this story is fascinating. You had brain surgery? Yeah, so in 1993, the summer before I was a senior in high school, that will tell you how old I am. Yes. Um. I suffered a brain aneurysm. I was, I was, I had been invited to play for the U S Olympic festival, the opening ceremonies in San Antonio, Texas. And while Christy Yamaguchi was skating and we were doing our band drills, I passed out and they rushed me to the hospital and they were like, your child has a bleed, a brain bleed. And oh so gosh. You know, I was in ICU and then like my stats went down and my pupils were fixed and dilated, you know, that's like, so like clinically dead. So they performed emergency brain surgery on me. You were clinically dead? That's crazy, right? I didn't see any, I didn't see any white light or anything. Yeah, you know this. I don't know if you've ever listened to this podcast. That's of course where I'm going. I'm like, <laughs> if you have an NDE is what's going on. 
but forget in the NDE, you had a near death experience. You yeah. were basically dead. I, yeah. Was it, it's so weird whenever somebody is, uh, was it brought on by anything or it was just genetics? Well, it was, it was genetics. I was born with, um, a malformation in my brain. Wow. And that's when it burst. But, you know, thank goodness it burst when it did because the woman my dad married, we we had an antagonistic relationship. She would have said, oh, just take two Advil and lay down. Why well, would have died? Wow. But But because I was unconscious, they wouldn't release her to – they wouldn't release me to her when she came to the Alamo Dome to pick me up. And the paramedics were like, I'm sorry, but Robin is unconscious. We're taking Robin to the hospital. Wow. And so they took me to the hospital and they were working me up in the ER. And, you know, they were like, is Robin pregnant? Does Robin do drugs? And my dad was like, no, Robin goes to church. Robin is not pregnant or does drugs. Yeah. And, you know, later they, they did a CAT scan. They found the bleed. They performed emergency surgery. Um I was in a coma for three days. I was in the hospital for about a month and, and had a subsequent surgery five days later. Three days, very on brand. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I rose from the dead. <laughs> and what's yeah. weird is they ran out of room, so they put you in like a big rollaway tomb. It was weird. Right. Exactly. It was weird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. I'm so glad uh, that you are okay. You know, it's it's weird, right? Um, I I don't know what to make of it other than grace. Yeah, and I don't even understand that. But how did I go on to finish high school on time? How did I go on to excel at college? How did I go on to excel at graduate school and do a PhD? I don't know. Mm. Um, but resilience is certainly a theme in my life. Yeah, for sure. I'm seeing an image of these like very uh, uneven and dirty and, and bad stepping stones, but like the path is pretty forward moving. Like, yeah. It, it was painful, but like things kept propelling you forward, including what I think we're getting into now. I mean, uh, you were, you were starting to talk about how you were identifying what language did you give yourself? You said you didn't feel like a boy. You didn't feel like a girl. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really have language around gender until I was in graduate school, even in college. Um, the term gay or lesbian didn't resonate with me. The only word that resonated with me was queer because I don't have exclusive sexual or emotional or intellectual desire for one gender. Hmm. And that whole binary gay or lesbian, um, requires a sort of exclusivity of, of, of desire. Hmm. And that's not, that's not really where I land. Um, I think desire is very complicated and informed by lots of things in our world. And for me, my, my desire is to be connected with someone. And it just so happens that my attraction is for a particular kind of person but even even that doesn't rely on gender so much. And so the terms gay and lesbian didn't resonate with me. I started reading queer theory when I was in college at this small Baptist university in West Texas. And I would like, I would read it by myself because to take those books into class would be to out myself in a way. And you went to a Bible college. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, probably similar to you, a Christian university. Yeah. 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 In West Texas. And the, the funniest story that I have was my friend, Josh Stowe, who's a tall, white, cisgendered man. Um, I would carry around these feminist theology books because I was also reading sort of outside the norm at that time. You know, I was, I, I'm intellectually curious. Mm. So I was reading all this feminist theology and some, a, a young undergrad and I was taking some grad classes and was almost graduating um, with my undergrad, but a young undergrad went up to Josh at the school of theology where we were all studying and said, is Robin a lesbian? And Josh, I'm really grateful for Josh for doing this because Josh said, why do you ask? And the young student said, well, Robin's reading feminist theology. And Josh said, I read feminist theology. Does that make me a lesbian? Wow, badass. And, you know, it was really great because I, I, I've never felt like a lesbian um, I have appreciation for lesbian politics, but don't feel like a lesbian. Right. But you were seeing that the brain really, really wants, I'm speaking from my own experience. When I was in Christian college, one of the appeals of it was how dualistic it was. Yeah. We were in, they were out. Are you, yep. we would say the same thing. Are they Catholic or yeah. are they, do they smoke? We wanted right. anything, anything right. we had. And right. certainly are they a lesbian would be a nice, neat container to put. Right. Them. Right. Know why you're asking. Right. That's what makes your friend sort of badass to be like, why are you asking? Yeah. Yeah. I hope this doesn't sound too churchy. Feels pretty Christ-like to me to just be like, yeah. What, what business is that of yours? Yeah. And we see that in Jesus, who doesn't seem to care about such things right. whatsoever. Right. Um, but he that that is a great story. I, I my I started getting nervous when you mentioned a uh, straight white cisgendered male in West Texas at Bible yeah. College. Right. <laughs> right. I know how that could go sideways. <laughs> <laughs> but you people were looking for a box to put you. Yeah. In. And 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 always Pete, man, always people are looking for a box to put me in. Yeah. And I think, you know, being a non-binary trans queer person is doesn't make sense to people. Right. And you know, like now that I take testosterone and you know, my voice is deepened and I have hair in places that I don't normally have hair. Yeah. You know, people are people are confused. And I think, I think this is being gender expansive is is the way I like to talk about it and is part of being free, I think. Mm -hmm. And instead of being boxed in to a a, a hole that contains you and constricts you, I would rather celebrate my expansiveness, my gender expansiveness in the terms of being non-binary. Yeah. Now, I left college at the at the encouragement of two cis white professors to go study at grad school, and I moved to Chicago, cut my teeth on radical queer politics, and began reading more about gender and came across things like gender fuck, gender queer. I don't know what gender fuck is. So it's fucking with the gender categories. <laughs> Okay, good. they picked a good name. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Genderfuck. And that was the first time, really, in the early 2000s that I was able to have some language about myself. 
Wow. That what I'm doing is I'm fucking with gender. Yeah. You had to wait a long time for that. I had to wait a long time. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's helping me realize my privilege. I was just like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm in a man body. I feel like a man or whatever that means. And I'm like, this is, this is easy. And, yeah. and you had to wait until grad school yeah. to find books and, and mentors and, and mirrors yeah. to see yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but it is really interesting to me. The, 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 the narrative of, the, of a trans person, always, I've always related to it. Mm-hmm. Because my spirituality has so much to do with, aren't we consciousness? Aren't we souls? Mm-hmm. And we do get so lost in the external and we get so lost in the binary. Yeah. And when you look at contemplation and, and a, a way of looking at everything and resisting nothing and saying yes to what is and identifying what Christians would call a soul, it is so weird that if you push that a little bit, people go like, no, 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 no. You're a man soul and you're right. a lady soul. Right. You're a gay right. Soul. Right. When all of that is just our meat puppets. Right. I, I know a big part of this is respecting our meat puppets and finding peace and enjoyment and, and feeling at home in our meat puppets. But spirituality should have been, in my, in my opinion, on the front lines of being like, of course, our true self is, is, is beyond this. We should be mm-hmm. the ones that are fucking with everything. Yeah. That are the ones clinging to everything yeah. we do. Well, and I think that being non-binary and a person being one who fucks with gender is in line with who Jesus was as someone who turned over the tables in the temple and outfoxed the empire and fucked with the system. Yeah. And question the system. And so, you know, when people want to debate me on scripture and whatnot, I'm like, look, y'all, I read scripture as a theologian, so I'm happy to talk about this. But here's my response. I think this is in line with who Jesus was as a resister. Yeah, as a rabble rouser. I'm such a a dork. I'm like, you mean a rabble rouser? (laughs) (laughs) I do think it's funny how often people keep pushing uh, Jesus to be like, but this is what it's supposed to be. And usually right. when he's confronted by another, another Jewish person, he's just going like, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. He mm-hmm. keeps telling stories and parables about that don't make sense. Right. I actually just found this out. If you'll forgive a little sidebar here that, you know, Jesus tells the story about the workers uh, and there's the workers that started work at, let's say 8 a.m., and then uh, there's the workers that showed up at 6 p.m. And the punchline is that everybody got paid the same. So mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's sort of challenging the idea of grace. He's challenging the idea of God's goodness. He's saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't work in the way that you think it does. Obviously, the person that starts at 8 and goes till 8 p.m. should make more than the person that started at 6 and goes till 8 p.m. He's like, nope, everybody gets the same. Fuck off. That's what right. he's saying. He's saying fuck off. Yeah. But I didn't know was that it was a classic Jewish story that they had that they would have been familiar with. It would have been me like me telling a joke that you would know like a yeah. joke and changing the punchline. It was even more salacious and exciting because the story uh, that the Jewish audience would have been familiar with was that the workers that showed up at six would have had to work three times as much and they would have made less. And like, it was a story to go like, so show up at 8 a.m. Right. And Jesus was like consistently giving that you got to earn it. 
you have to think it, you have to understand it, you have to know it, and you have to do it within the lines. He's like, don't you see, grace has nothing to do with that. And I don't know how my faith was formed when every time I look at Jesus, he's telling a story where he's like, uh, and then at the end, God loves you anyway. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that story, what it brings up for me is around embodiment. Mm. That that Jesus was teaching us to embody a different way of being Mm. and how we resist that. And we want certainty and we want binaries and we want categories. That's right. But really what Jesus invites us to do is to embody a different orientation. That's and and it could start now. Right. So if it can't start at 6 PM, what chance do we have at now? Like whatever you're doing the grace and the truth and the mystery is available to flow through you right now. And it's the brain that keeps going, but I need to be there on Thursday at 8 a.m. I was just thinking about that. I was, I was walking my daughter this morning. It was very early. She got up very early this morning. And I was thinking about that. Jesus tells a story about uh, looking out for the coming of the kingdom like you're waiting for a burglar to break into your house. So he's trying, Eckhart Tolle helped me realize that's him saying, be in the moment. If right. you're waiting for a burglar to come in, guess what? You're paying attention. You're, you're looking for details as if you're going to have to explain them to the police later. Right. So I'm not going to walk by these wildflowers. I'm going to look at them with my daughter yeah. because this is a detail. This is right. be the fuck here. So that has no place. I'm preaching now, but that has no place between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Your brain is not invited to the party in the way that you want it to be. Yeah. It need, it's in the way, in fact. Well, and what has created conditions for the brain to take up so much space in our lives is the the heteropatriarchal capitalist machine. <laughs> Nobody said that on the podcast before. <laughs> the hetero, yes. So the straight Patri- capitalist, the patriarchal. So patriarchal. so so the heteropatriarchal capitalist machine um, socializes us. So that our brain takes up so much space and we are not able to be present or have this embodied life. That I, I think that's right on. The, it feels very male to me, toxic male. Yeah. Bad dad yeah. to me to always be. I, I admitted to you at the beginning of this podcast that I think my feelings. That is a classic male pitfall. Certainly yeah. everybody has it. Yeah, but there it's it's it it feels if I'm using it right that feels patriarchal. It's like I yeah, that that's valuable. Yeah, because if I can turn my emotions into useful and not useful, right, I can make more money. Right, I and and I've thrived at that. I've turned I've turned aspects of my life that are sacred into ways of making money. Yeah, that's not necessarily wrong, but like joking around with friends, stand up comedy, talking mm-hmm. with people, podcasting. It's been it's been put through this three Enneagram again, filter of like, yeah. but can we make it into something? Right. So I'm right. I'm right there with you. I, I feel involved in that. I feel yeah. like I don't want to say a victim and I don't want to say a beneficiary. I feel involved. In yeah. That. Well, we all are. We're all, so we're all conscripted into this reality mm. in, in, in ways that harm us in ways that help us be successful in ways that, you know, we don't show up as our best selves. I mean, it, it's a mixed bag. You know, these are the waters that we're swimming in. Mm. 
that's that's i mean i feel like this is your specialty what are the inherited waters that we're swimming in i mean you you've spent so much of your life not fitting into them yeah there's so much value in going i i'm pointing out the threeness the achieverness mm-hmm. meaning it doesn't matter if it's true it matters if it works right um that that's something i was just thinking about today i was feeling stressed and i was like uh, for what it's worth, we don't have to get into it. I try not to look at pornography. That's just for me. It's not even in the Jesus-y way. It's just for my brain chemistry. It's, it yeah. I feel better when I don't do it. And I caught my three brain, my achiever brain going, but it works. You are stressed. You want a, a sexual si- stimulus. Look at it, jerk off, feel better. That was a very clear-cut example of the threeness and the sort of capitalist part of my brain right I care about the the sex workers and their treatment and was their work stolen and uploaded illegally right I care about uh my brain chemistry i don't care about i don't care about anything i care that i'm stressed and this will work yeah that is part of the water that we're swimming in we don't care if it's true we care if it works right right yeah it's about productivity right it's about achievement it's about um how many boxes we check off yes that's right. And and that's about capitalism. That's right. I I definitely feel like a like someone who has to wake up and and is hopefully is waking up to the ways in which capitalism and productivity and thinking has robbed me from I and I'm working on this every day because I do think I find real moments of connection with people and with my family and with my friends. But that is like, I'm 41 years old. I'm now, you said embodiment. I lit up when you said that all I'm trying to do is get in touch with my body Yeah. as a, as a, as a me, as what I am, I felt like I was taught to not feel my body Yeah. dancing. I just had this huge, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much, but I had this huge breakthrough. My wife Val, she dances a lot. And we have dance parties with our daughter now. We put on uh, mm. fun music and we dance. And that's uh, the first, I'm 41 and I've now just had the first experience where I'm dancing, not because the music sounds like you should probably be, not dancing right. right. Oh, this is the part we put our hands up. This yeah. is the part where you might be more staccato because it's like, yeah. dancing because Val said this to me. She goes, let your body choose how it wants to move. It's your body's time. Yeah. Do your, does it feel good when your hips move? Yeah. Does it feel good when you throw your hands up? That never even fucking occurred to me that you might dance because it feels good. Mm-hmm. 41. Yeah. All I wanted to do was not look stupid. I wanted to fit in. So I did dance. I danced at weddings, but I did it because I didn't want to be a weirdo that wasn't dancing. Right. Now I'm finally getting in touch. I can feel my hips and there's something in yeah. a quieter voice that goes, well, that's feminine. That's feminine to move your mm. hips. It's feminine to throw up your, what do we call that? Flamboyant. What's flamboyant? It's code for you look gay, bro. Right, right. And now I'm grateful to have Val, obviously. I'm grateful to have my daughter. And I just, sometimes I'll just mirror my 18-month-old daughter and she's got some moves. She is yeah. free. You know, it's interesting that you talk about dancing because my partner is a dancer. Yes, and good choice. And as a five on the Enneagram and as an intense introvert, moving and dancing is not something that is in my repertoire. <laughs> We're friends. <laughs> <laughs> and and Aaron 
dances all the time mm. and is an accomplished dancer and has been dancing for 30 years. And I am so intimidated mm. to move in front of her. But the more I do and the more, the more I'm invited to move, the more I feel my body. So much so that my next book is on embodiment and is just a whole bunch of stories about how I've come into my body. Then I can't wait. I mean, it's been following me. I love that we're talking today because I'm going to tell Val that we talked about embodiment and it is chasing you like the hound of heaven. It's chasing me Yeah, because I keep, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed at how much I love Richie Rohr, but I'm watching these DVDs that I found on his website and embodiment keeps coming mm-hmm. up. I bought like 15 of them. So I'll pick yeah. one at random. And the one yeah. that I pick, he's talking about how Christianity and our culture as a whole has lost touch with the body. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, not only do I not know how I feel, I don't know how my body feels. I don't right. know what my stomach feels like. I'm such, it makes me angry. I feel like a shadow of my father where I'm like, I have no relationship with my feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And I love that you're working on that too. Tell me some of the things you're putting in this book. Give me a taste. I need yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm literally writing about my journey of becoming embodied. So the journey of waking up, not feeling like I recognize my body. Mm. And so I now inject testosterone into my body to try to recognize my body. Mm. Um. I take somatics. It helps. Yeah, it helps. Yeah. Start seeing what you feel like. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm so happy. And the gender dysphoria goes away. Um, I feel more like myself. I feel comfortable in my skin. Mm. Right. So it's stories about how I feel comfortable in my skin. And one of the stories is about um, somatics and, and and doing these movement classes to help me connect with myself. And the whole premise of the book, Pete, is when we become embodied, it changes our orientation to other people. Mm. And that creates a new vision for democracy. Mm. So if we can become embodied, we can we can craft a new vision for democracy. Help me with that. Walk me through. So if I become embodied and I have a relationship with my body. I was just going to say, let's define embodied yeah. because I've heard that term for many years and I didn't know what it means. It literally means feeling, experiencing, yeah. maintaining connection with your body. So we're not yes. talking about metaphysics here. We're no. saying you feel your fucking hips, you feel yeah. your hands, you feel your body. Dude, when I do, sorry, dude, I shouldn't say that, but it's like, Robin, when I do my, <laughs> I call everybody dude. That's fine. When I do my body scans, I'll do like a scan in meditation. Yeah. I get to my genitals, nothing. Yeah. I've just learned that that is not an okay area to feel like the shame, all that yeah. stuff in there. So this is embodiment. This is yeah. embodiment work. Yeah. And, and I plan to write about sex and I plan to write about my genitals and how I'm growing a cock on tea. <laughs> and how that's a real thing, and it I changes hope that's the chapter name. I'm growing a cock on tea. <laughs> I'm growing a cock on tea is such. I'm new to it, but that sounds like such a gender fuck statement. And right? Yeah. 
but but you know i think i think we're all who grew up within evangelical christianity or conservative christianity we all were taught not to feel in any way that's right so pleasure and you only have sex for reproduction so you're not supposed to enjoy it yeah and and let me tell you i'm in my 40s and i haven't enjoyed sex more than i ha- than i am now because i'm finally in my body yeah and I'm finally feeling something. The the best sex Val and I have had, we usually will gaze first. Yeah. And that, like gazing is just what it sounds like. We'll just look in each other's eyes. It's sometimes helpful to set a timer because it's you lose sense of time and you don't yep. you don't want anyone to get too uncomfortable. And that means me. So you put like a timer <laughs> for five minutes, ten yeah. minutes, and you gaze. What are we doing? We're actually getting in the body. Which yeah. I, I don't say this to be dismissive. Uh she doesn't have as much of a hard time with that. Yeah. I'm getting in my body. Yeah. Connecting. Yeah. And then the sex is actually, it's what Richie Rohr would call life-affirming sex. Yeah. When he talks about sexuality, he says life-affirming. So what does he mean by that? I'm always careful. I don't want to just masturbate inside of my wife. You know what I'm saying? Right, Which right. I think it's a lot of my sex for a lot of my life. It sounds yeah. so crass. It sounds like I was a sociopath. I'm just saying men... In my experience, this man, I can't speak for men, this man was taught sex is sort of a nebulous, bad area. Yeah. It's like dancing. It's like feeling your hips. It's like feel. it's feminine. You're, you're inside of a vagina. Like you're, you're merging. Yeah. You're becoming one yeah. thing. So you are becoming a, a woman. Uh, you're becoming a nothing. You're becoming yeah. a third thing. Yeah. So get it over with. Do the position. Do dog doggy style and, and just jerk off and be done. Yeah. You know, there's another person there. So the gazing is that way yeah. of going like, hey, guess what? I, I know you'd like to uh, wear a baseball jersey and smoke a cigar while you do this, but you're going to have to merge into something ancient, mysterious, embodied, uh, and, 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 and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Fucking vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Keep going. You're, you're in your 40s. I'm in my 40s and I'm having the best sex of my life because it's exactly what you say. It is about contemplating the mystery of becoming one with my partner. Mm-hmm. Yes. And not conquest. I not conquest. Like, yeah. Dudes are like, I got laid. I scored. I yeah. got lucky. You were allowed to put your dick in. It might as well just be like a jar of jelly. Right. There was nothing in it that was right. like, this is the mystery. Right. This is creation itself. I don't yep. mean reproduction. No, I mean, no. This is the mystery. But it, but it is, it's creative in its potential to help us be one with, with one another. Mm. And so, you know, my partner and I have a wide variety of sex and positions and whatnot. And and every time, because we're consent focused and because it's about pleasure and because it's about experiencing the sacredness and the mystery of this thing that is called pleasure, we're having the best time of our life. I love that. Yeah. And you feel safe. You've, you've oh, found yeah. a partner where you're yeah. like, I can be safe. I can be safe. And, you know, Pete, the best thing, I think, for trans people, it's hard for trans people, I think to find partners where, where bodily autonomy is respected. Mm. What do you mean by that? It's, it's you, I know what autonomy means, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Well, you know, because we are, because we are 
consent focused and because we both believe that we have bodily autonomy that that my partner's body is not mine to consume there you go and my body is not hers to consume mm. because because we have these orientations that are prevalent i think within queer communities one of the greatest things one of the greatest gifts as a trans person is that i have a partner who not only respects my body and my choices but seeks to pleasure my body in mm-hmm. in whatever ways she can mm-hmm. and that's been a great gift because i i i had a partner for a long time who was very um anti-trans hmm. and even though at that point you I, you were trans you were well out. well the funny story about that is my former partner said well you're not trans because you're not on t you're not trans because you're you're not a male and i'm like i'm not trying to become a man or a male mm-hmm. uh, and, and this was before non-binary existed mm-hmm. non-binary has only been around really in the discourse for about four years Wow. So young, even for bamboo. <laughs> yes. That's yes. Very young. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. So, so the fact that I don't have to fight with a partner to be seen as a trans person is huge mm. because I was with someone for so long that, that fought me on that tooth and nail. It's so heartbreaking and you see it with race and you see it with all yeah. sorts of marginalized groups when they, when, and I, I'm sure there's lots of psychological and, and valid reasons that I can't even understand, but when, when it starts eating itself, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. When the safe spaces become right. not safe space. Right. Right. What I, what I find so fascinating about all of this is I, I feel like we're supposed to be having a conversation about how different we are. And, mm. and that, that's sort of how we started this conversation. Yeah. I asked about your life. I've always just related so hard to, to this, your story and stories like it, because it's my story. Yeah. It's about authenticity. Yeah. It's about figuring out who you are. That's why I'm talking about the water. What world did we grow up in? What did we inherit? Mm-hmm. What, what is actually your dream? What is actually your life? What is actually your truth? And what was just given to you? Because mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. It, it, you might be the most meat and potatoes uh, a straight male or straight female in the world, there's still something in your life where you're like, this needs light on it. I need to open this window. I need to open this door because society told me to close that window and close that door. Even if it has nothing to do with sexuality or your body, self-realization, spiritual realization is embodied so, so writ large in stories like Mm -hmm. they get me really excited well you know you talk about we're supposed to be talking about how different we are but i think we fail like one of the things that i think is happening right now in this country particular in the united states is we're failing to be human with one another and we're Mm -hmm. failing to see what connects us to one another so I do a lot of stuff around bridging across lines of radical difference and recognizing that our differences bring us together and whatnot. But one of the things is is that is true, I think, for for all of us is we're failing to be human with one another. And because we are failing to be human with one another, we are failing to be human to ourselves, which That's is right. part of the reason why we can't be embodied. That's right. My, do you, uh, I keep feeling that I'll, 
I'll go through Facebook, right? And I see other comedians and I'm, I can find my brain being so hard on them. Mm. And again, I was reading my Enneagram book and I was like, Pete, that's what you do. You are not at peace or even aware of how hard you are on yourself, mm. how angry you can be with yourself, how ashamed you are, what psychology would call your child self, your, yeah. which is this weak, vulnerable thing that to this persona that I've built is so disgusting. I can't love that part of myself. So I project it again. I don't troll people. I'm not nasty, but I notice if I'm going through Facebook and someone's career isn't flourishing, I'll catch myself going, well, it's because this, this, or this. And I'm like, you do that to yourself. You're doing what you're doing to take it to another place. When you see people's political divides, and I'd love to hear you speak on this. Richie was just talking in a lecture. I was hearing him give, 20 years ago it's an old lecture but he's talking about like if you're talking to somebody and you're just trying to turn them into you you've you've failed so right. hard you've forgotten and i hate that the word love has been reduced and watered down into this fluffy hallmark thing but you're not loving them right you're not giving them the goods you're yeah. just talking about candy you're not yeah. giving them any candy <laughs> yeah just, isn't candy interesting? How about give them some fucking yeah. candy? Yeah. How about give them, you don't know where they are, get, let them in. And I'm, I'm personally thinking about people whose politics, uh, hardcore Trump supporters, that I'm not, I do not vibe with them. So I catch myself, the temptation is to get binary with it, get dualistic yeah. with it and go, yeah. well, they're idiots. You see it with the, he says, drink bleach. And people are like, well, maybe we should let them drink right. bleach. And I'm right. like, what are we doing? We're, we're, yeah. we're fighting a bad fire with a bad fire. We're like, let them die. Well, that's what they're saying about weak and elderly people. And we're yeah. saying to them, don't we see? Yeah. Like, nobody's loving anybody. Right. And it's just an Ouroboros. It's a downward spiral of, of hell. It's literally yeah. we're creating a hell. Yeah. Where every, oh, you wear a red hat and you're this and that. Motherfucker, if you were stuck on a boat with that guy or that woman and you were You better become friends. You would. Guess what? You would. And that's why we love movies like that. You would be forced to forge a soul connection. And I don't mean some stuff. Like Sarah Silverman did a beautiful thing where she went to somebody, a big Trump supporter's house. It's hard to do an authentic conversion there for both of you because cameras are there. I'm talking about end of the world. You're on a boat. Now you'll find each other. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. That's how change happens. You right. change when you have to. Right. And you change when you change yourself. That's right. Beautiful. When you change yourself, you change the world. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I spend a lot, I mean, I live in the South, in the American South. And so there are lots of Trump supporters here. And one of the things that I try to do, I mean, of course not now because I'm living a quarantine life, but having dinner with conservative evangelicals. It's hard to hate people over uh, good food. Yeah. I was just gonna say biscuits help a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. But you know, but you know, the, the, the reality is, is, is we have sunk our nails into ideology in a way that dehumanizes each other. Mm. And when we actually look at our politics and by that i mean our social practices where we buy our coffee where we spend our time who our friends are when we begin to look at our politics we we become more acquainted with our values when we become acquainted with our values we can figure out where we share and where the distance is with people 
Mm. That's really the work that we need to be doing with one another, which is about relationship, which is about embodiment, which is about becoming human with one another. I was just going to say that goes back to your wonderful point about embodiment. Yeah. If you are your ideologies, you've stopped being a body. Exactly. When I am a body, the amount that you and I have in common is insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? We are both humans where when we humanize ourselves, right. There's so much more that we have going, but when we're ideologies, you just walked into a library that I've been building since I was four years old. Right. Good luck finding me. Right. That is the spiritual, in my opinion, that's one of the main charges. And one of the reasons I'm drawn to religion and I'm drawn to spirituality is it's going, you're not your thoughts. You're not even your beliefs. Let's bring it, let's strip it down to something more elemental, more fundamental, because that's where we can eat some biscuits. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I love that you said we're not our thoughts because as an academic, as a person who has a PhD, I was really identified with being an academic, with being a person in the academy. But when I discovered that the academy of higher education is just self-perpetuating elitism, mm. wow, <laughs> I, w- I was able to unhinge from that and 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 reorient myself toward becoming human with myself. Wow. It was another wall. Is that what you mean? It was another wall. And you said in 2016 is when you sort of broke away? Yeah, I was on faculty in Berkeley and um, loved living in the Bay Area. Thought I'd be like queer utopia and couldn't find my people. Wow. And was there for a couple of years on faculty in Berkeley teaching ethics and, you know, had great students, but just couldn't find my people. And so after the election, I was like, my work needs to be rooted in the South. I'm heading home. So my move to Nashville was a coming home, a leaving and a coming home. You are so fearless. I can't believe it. (laughs) I I can. I guess I'm used to talking to comedians. We really love our fears. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Well, I, 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 because you're disparaging about yourself, right? We, we like that. I, I just, I'm sort of kidding. Certainly comedians are fearless in certain ways, but like when it comes to like really uh, an induced earthquake, like like, I'm going to give myself an earthquake. I'm going to take this from, like you said, a queer utopia, which I know it wasn't, but like so many people would just ride it out. So many people would ride it out at their dad's house. Mm. Be a Republican. You should have just done whatever your dad said. (laughs) Lord have mercy. <laughs> this is Jesus turning over the tables again. This is yeah. like, don't you just want to fit in? Don't you just want to eat a PB&J that right. I, I forgot her name. It starts with an E. Uh, it's Elena. Elena, that Elena yeah. made you. Um, and you keep saying, no, I hope you have enough people. You don't need me pointing out just what a warrior you are. You went Well, I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, Everybody that I left in the Bay Area, they were mortified. Wow. Even my therapist was like, oh, my God, are you going to get competent care? You know, and of course, I am seen at the at the trans clinic here in Nashville. And mm. the the person who heads it up is my doctor. And I I receive not just competent care, but proficient care. Mm. That's great. And but everybody was mortified about me moving home to the South, but, but this was about reconnecting to myself. Yeah. 
Yeah. But isn't that the, it is, I don't have to ask it as a question, but I'm going to, but isn't that the hero's journey? I mean, you need to take what you had, you leave, you take what you've been given and then you bring it back. Now I'm not going back to Boston, but there is a going back. Like I, I sort of light up when I come around evangelicals, when I come around people that, that uh, believed how I used to believe Mm -hmm. it gets me excited and that is, as Richie Rohr says, the point of life to humbly and proudly return what you've been given. Yeah. I have to imagine at Berkeley, it was sort of challenging. You were taking something out of the, out of the realm of ideology and, act, and, and, and using it. I'm not saying they're not using it, but you had to be a kind of an uncomfortable mirror at that point. Yeah, if, I mean, I mean. you're leaving, what's wrong with it, you know? Right, exactly. And, you know, they... And I taught graduate students, and so like I had I had a great gig, and and but I have a better gig now at Duke, you know. So I, yeah. I mean, wow, I I don't know what to say other than that time in my life was great because it taught me that I needed to be connected to my roots. Mm. Wow, because because my always leaving also meant that I was leaving my rootedness. Mm. And if we are going to be human with ourselves and be embodied, we have to be rooted in something. Right. You need to feel safe, right? Yeah. I mean, that sort of goes back to what we were saying. As much as I like to um, sort of, I don't want to say co-opt or sidle up to, but like I look at the trans thing and I go, that's right. We're not even our bodies. Okay, that's great, Pete. Thank you. But also, we need to feel safe and identified in our bodies. Right. That's part of it, too. You need right. to have those roots. It's right. easy for me. I'm calling bullshit on myself. It's easy for me to be like, oh, I am rooted. Let's start talking about how we're really just our awareness. Great. Uh, Robin and, and thousands, millions of people like you need to find that identity first yeah. and need to root themselves. Yeah. Can yeah. you speak a little bit to that? Well, I mean, I think that finding my roots um, has been a long journey. And it was after I finished my PhD, I was in Hot Springs, North Carolina, sitting on a second story balcony. It was hot as fuck. And hmm. I was in my underwear and tank with a companion. And, and this person said to me three things. You're not agnostic you're still becoming and you're disconnected from your roots. Now, whoa. <laughs> right. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now I had just written about 300 pages on the topic of becoming for my dissertation. So I know a lot about what it means to become. I I know the philosophy of it. Um so I was like I'm still becoming what? I just wrote on that. The you're not agnostic was like a prophetic moment to say that that this person was saying to me, it's not all ideas and thinking. Mm. You got to get your hands dirty. Because agnosticism, based on this conversation, I'm like, is a thought that you can't think of, uh, about God properly. Right. 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 So it's like a it's a, it's a thought that goes you can't think it, and and somebody needs to go like, but it's it's about. It, it's something trans rational. It's, right. it's beyond, and I'm not saying that because you're trans, 
that is one of my favorite words in the world, transrational. It's beyond yeah. the realm and the possibility of thinking. Yeah. It's about, this is what mysticism is. Yeah. It's about experiencing. Yeah, exactly. Emerging. Exactly. It's about it's experience. About it's about becoming, it's about experience, and it's about getting my hands dirty, which, which is about feeling rooted in something. And so mm. at, at 2015, I, I headed back to the Bay Area and spent the next you know, year and a half um, it, teaching and whatnot, and, and my companion was right. I was disconnected from my roots. What was I doing? I mean, I had left Texas for Chicago for grad school, went to seminary in Chicago at Northwestern, left Chicago for Denver, Colorado to do a PhD, not my roots, and then left Colorado for California to teach because I thought it'd be great to teach in Berkeley, mm. which it was, but also not my roots. So how do I, how do, I do my work from a place of rootlessness? Mm. And so after my companion told me this, I was like, shit, I got to get right with myself. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah, and you know ahead. what, Pete? I started journaling this question, who am I and how do I know? And for the next five years, from 2015 to now, that's five years, I continue to journal about that question, who am I and how do I know? Mm. And, and so after the election, I was like, I'm loading up my car with my iMac. I drive a Prius. So everything I owned at that time could fit in my car, mm. except my books. My books were in storage somewhere. I loaded up my car. I made the long trip um, east to Nashville, and I landed in Nashville, and I was like, this is where I'm going to make home. This is where I'm going to grow roots. This is where I'm going to shed the rootlessness mm. and, and get right with myself. It feels very Old Testament. I mean that in a good way. There's so much identity. Yeah. Uh, Richie has helped me realize that Israel is like the stand-in for the collective, for mm -hmm. everybody, basically. Right. Which was really eye-opening for me because it sort of included me in something that felt so Hebraic and Jewish that I was like, yeah. oh, this isn't for me. Yeah. But the, the other side of that is there is a physical and a practical way of being like, I am a part of a group, part of a clan, part of a people. And there's value to that. that can serve your spirit. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying. Yeah. That's wonderful. So you get to Nashville. I get to Nashville and I finish my book, Activist Theology, and they send it back and they're like, this is great. We love your work. This is not the book we wanted. And I was like, what? They're like, we want your story. Huh. I was like, fuck me. <laughs> you have a great story. And so I rewrote the entire book. Shit. Yep. Turned it in. Found my people here. And launched my scholarship as a collaborative project called the Activist Theology Project. Robin, what a, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what a great... I'm a visual thinker. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. And I'm thinking yeah. about this as a movie. This is a great third act moment where we're, we're shifting from head to heart. Right? Yeah. And you had a, I'm, I'm assuming, a heady book. Yeah. Like an intellectual academic book. Yeah. And they literally, you had a real world, not like a, the clouds didn't open. You had publishers saying, we want fuck this. Yeah, yeah, fuck this. We, and, and you had someone say to you, you're not agnostic. Yeah. Like you have these challenging things and you were receptive and you took them yeah. in. And this is bringing you into your body and bringing you into yep. your body. Yeah. Rewrite the book. Keep going. Rewrite the book from a place of heart. 
and I and I mean it's still an academic book, but it's it's full of story, um, and you know it's done well. I hear great things from people that people really resonate with it, and I end up saying, "Let me launch my scholarship." These ideas that I've been percolating. Let me launch it as a collaborative project around social healing and social justice. Mm. And so I work with three other amazing white folks um, with at the Activist Theology Project doing good work. And I mean, I'm on podcasts all the time talking about activist theology as a way to restore ourselves and a way to connect with ourselves and to become human with one another. Love that um, story. That's so yeah. good. It's, like and, a, it's a better way of saying recreate because we yeah. are just, we're just stories. Yeah. Quote, Michael Gunger, my, my five friend, he's like, you are a story. Yeah. We're, we're a living text. And so I'm just trying to weave text together and create a larger text that is liberative for all of us. It's funny. While you were saying that, I was thinking about how so much of this d- d- divisiveness comes from social media And it's so fun. I know it can be healed in social media too, potentially, but it's like social media is just a megaphone for thoughts. Right. Like I, again, it just gave me this image of like, we need some place. You mentioned food. I think it's interesting that, that Christ did so much of his uh, hanging out around dinner table. Yeah. Food, dance. It's like, we need like burning man, for people who don't do MDMA. It's like yeah. there needs to be something where people can get their feet dusty. There can be some dancing. There can be some music. This sounds like we're going to launch something. I, I don't know if I if we can, especially now, but I'm saying... But that, this will be amazing. Right? But I, I'm actually telling you what I'm craving. Yeah. When I say to Val, I wish we lived on a farm. I wish we lived in a commune. We both sort of have this like dream of like communal living sometimes. And I'm like, what I'm really articulating is like, what is something you can't post on on Facebook? Mm-hmm. Because that is just helping us believe that we are our thoughts, we are our ideologies. You said earlier, it, Facebook is not where you get your coffee. It might be thinking about or talking about right. your coffee. But like so much of this needs to be brought into reality. And that, again, is why I think it's writ large in the trans uh, story. Yeah. Like, I'm talking about my body. Yeah. No wonder it's so threatening to so many because it doesn't matter who you are. We we're disconnected from the first root, which is our body. Right. The second root, which is where our, our planet, our mm-hmm. people, like, I mean, we, we should be eating biscuits right now. Is what I'm saying. And gravy. I think so. <laughs> yeah. And maybe either a mimosa or a beer. Uh, yes, I remember I, we were emailing on 420 and you reminded me that I, I was pr- going to get stoned anyway, but I was like, ah, you have a reason to get yeah, stoned. <laughs> yeah, I had a great, four, my partner and I, we had a great 420 and um, I, I really want to do some exploratory writing on this next book around becoming embodied, um, altered, mm. and, and really like ask myself, you know, where am I in tune with my body when I'm high? Mm. and and see what it produces robin it's i i took lsd on my birthday i turned 41 in march i took a low dose it was 35 micrograms so not of not even a half a tab yeah 
And the first thing I said to Val, because that's for, for people that hear LSD and think I was riding a dragon in the sky. Yeah. I was there. Uh, I was not in charge of looking after our baby, but I was certainly helpful. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like yeah. I was still a human person on earth. Yeah. The first thing I said to her was, I am, I was so in my body. It was as if, and three as achievers do this big time, we float next to our bodies and we watch them play a part. Mm-hmm. And that has been my life. I've been like, Pete went in this room and he acted this way. Then he went in that room and he acted that way. The real Pete is just floating somewhere else. He's ethereal. This, this sacred medicine made me feel like a lead, like an army man, mm. you know, like, like a, a toy from 1918. Yeah. Like a heavy, like a sumo wrestler mm. or like doing yoga when your feet are so planted in the ground. Yeah. I felt my knees. I felt my joints. I felt heavy in a good way. You yeah. are heavy, motherfucker. I yeah. weighed 50. I felt it. I was in my body and I was like, that is a great topic for, for your writing because I, 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 the, the stigma, I guess, makes me want to say, I wish I didn't need drugs to do it, but fuck it, man. I'll take all the help I can get. You know, th- but this is why they took it away from us and, and made it illegal is because it gives us insight to ourselves mm. and it gives us wisdom. Mm. And this stuff is medicine. Yes. And the reason why they've criminalized it is because it enlightens us on a plane that is sacred. Yes. And yeah, so, that's right. and so I, you know, I'm all for the legalization of these things and we should be doing more research on psychedelics and marijuana. Um, I, I've been, I don't, I don't mind talking about this, but I have been recently diagnosed with a condition. Um, I still have all my reproductive parts. And so I still have a uterus um, and I have endometrial um, tissue growing in between the lining of the uterus. And it's, it's called something that I can't say, adamiosis or something like that. Mm. So it causes extreme pain. Mm. And so I'm on, I'm on an enzyme that lowers estrogen that will actually help the T. So there will be more gene expression. But um, I was having incredible pain last week. And my partner said who is a big believer in plant medicine. She went and got CBD cream and put it on me. She gave me CBD and put it under my tongue. And then she said, here, take two puffs and of the vape. CBD? Gone. No, uh, marijuana. Okay. And, and it went away. Wow. And I'm like, why isn't this available for people? Yeah. That's insane. I mean, everybody listening to this podcast is laughing because I have CBD here on my desk. This is my yeah. Charlotte's Web. I, I swear by it. Because the first time I smoked pot, I was like, I love this. I just wish there was something that I could stay on earth right, and still treat whatever it might be. right. Um, I'm not doing an ad for it right now. So I can say anecdotally that it helps me with my anxiety. It helps me with stress management and all these things that uh, I think I'm not supposed to say in the ads, but we're just talking. Yeah. And I can stay, I, I do say in the ads, I go, I can still watch a movie. I don't yeah. understand people that get stoned and watch a movie. I do it, but uh, I can watch the same movie the next day and it'll be a fresh movie. Right, right. Like, I'm not, <laughs> right. So like, while I, I, I enjoy and love marijuana, CBD has been such an ally for me. Mm-hmm. It's something that you can do every day 
and still and still manage your life or yep. will be yep. available. Yep. Um, I with parents and and booze and the the thought of of being absent in my eyes for my child. I stopped drinking. Uh, I I stopped drinking right before I got married, but a lot of it had to do with having kids and not wanting to be the glassy eyed, red lipped, stereotypical dad who is even less in touch with his body because he's drunk. Right. And that's such a scary thought to me. That being said, marijuana, even though it can take me out of the plot of Shanghai noon, which is true, uh, can help me feel in my body and certainly help with, with pain in a way that I think I did used to get drunk because I was in pain Mm -hmm. and now small amounts of, of marijuana or whatever it might be can, can solve that. So I'm so glad that you found that this problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I take this enzyme, but really what's helping with the pain is not the fucking enzyme. (laughs) It's plant medicine. Yeah. Isn't it weird? Humanity is weird. I'm sure it's fucked up that they're like, I mean, I love Terrence McKenna. I wouldn't say I'm a huge Terrence McKenna head, uh, but him and Alan Watts and all these people, they, they point out they're like liberated people are very hard to control. This mm-hmm. seems right up your alley. Yeah, like, yeah. When I start getting a sense of myself, who am I and how do I know? Mm-hmm. And plants, marijuana, psilocybin, LSD, which I know isn't a plant, it's a derivative or whatever, can take you by the hand and go, I'm not going to go out there. I'm going to go in. Yeah, we're going to go in. Yeah. <laughs> and you come out of that. So I'm on, I'm on my trip. I went upstairs. I think I told this story already, but I was upstairs. And you got in the bathtub? Yes. Yeah. You told it when you were talking to Mike. I got in the bathtub. Yeah. So we have a bathtub. It's a very small second story. It's, it's, it's comically small. Um, and I went up there. We're never up there. I got in the tub and I looked at my feet and I, my heart just was opened to my feet. I know this sounds like such a hippie drug story, but they just look so like, I had cut the nails with such like, eh, just get the nails to a le-. like they w- were not trimmed lovingly. Yeah, they they had like calluses. They're man feet. They're disgusting yeah. man feet. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just looking at them and I'm like, these friends, these allies, carry me around. Yeah. And I went downstairs and I was like, Val, we got to get pedicures. I got to get foot massages. We have to dance. I need to rest. I just like, even as I articulate it, the profundity of the moment obviously isn't, it's transrational. Mm-hmm. I had a moment that is beyond language where I was like, thank you for my feet. Yeah. Thank you for my body. And, and, and it's, we've, we've found it and then we've repressed it. Mm-hmm. I understand that there are ways to abuse this in the same way you can abuse Dayquil. Absolutely. But I mean, the fact that there's something your doctor probably knows about CBD, it's not in their disposal to tell you about. You know, I'm glad that you talked about your feet as being allies because I, before this quarantine life, I would go once a month and get my pedicure. Mm. Um, Not to be vain or bougie, but as as foot care because foot care is important and you know i'm standing on my feet a lot when i'm talking um or or when i'm in airports i'm walking a lot and Mm -hmm. when i have dress shoes on it cramps my feet you know Mm -hmm. and so i go for pedicures and 
one of the things that I love that you said is your feet carry you. And I want, I want my feet to be in such great shape to be connected to the ground. Because if I'm not connected to the ground, then I'm unable to move and do my work. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I'm really missing during quarantine life is the pedicure because yeah. it was a, it was a time for me, you know, it was an hour for me to like, just sit back and That's right. do nothing and be cared for. It's like Val said with the dancing, let your body be in charge for a yeah. while. It's like, let the feet have, I know this sounds so hippie, but it sounds so hippie because we're so disconnected from right. this reality. Exactly. You know what I'm, So if people exactly. are listening and they're rolling their eyes or whatever, I'm like, yeah, I understand that impulse. I would roll my eyes too, but I'm just starting. I really feel like I'm living in a simulation because this conversation is right in line. I know I'm part of it. I'm guiding it. But like, it's right in line with what I need. And I think it's in line with what people need. Because as we're in quarantine, and as you are dealing with all the things that define our reality and tell us who we are are now being taken away. Right. You can't even go to the office and be the big boss man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I pitch TV shows over Zoom and everybody's unshaven and in their PJs or, you know, casual clothes in their houses. It's like all of the story is being stripped away. So this is a really good opportunity for me to do this work to remember that you're being carried by your feet. Mm-hmm. Fuck your Tesla or fuck, fuck your fancy elevator and, and your assistance or whatever it might be. You are a body yeah. moving through a mystery, not even moving through a mystery, part of a mystery. Yeah. You think we're separate, but we're really underwater. We are underwater. Well, I think what this time is also showing us, not just about being connected to a mystery, is the web of interconnection. Yes. And that is something we need. We need to pay attention to that. I hope, I really hope this time is a corrective for people. Me too. Because if we don't get our shit together this time, it's going to be worse next time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we start flirting with that, like, is this why Rome fell? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, we right. start getting into that ancient, like, what is this on the big map? The yeah. map where you see, here's the Ice Age and here's the plague. And, like, let's look at the big map. Yeah. I was saying to Val, if what, I mean, the birds around my house right now are insane. Mm. People are talking about coyotes on the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. We're waking up to something that we're so disconnected from, which is the other thing you were mentioning not just our bodies, but our planet and our mm-hmm. world, which again has just become a fucking idea. Yeah. Three months ago, I would have been like, yeah, I'm all for the planet. I'm, I'm a liberal Democrat and all this. I want the environment. The environment is encroaching on me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm seeing it in the air. I'm hearing it in the birds and I'm hearing stories of it. The, the environment always seemed like this abstract thing. Like, yeah, we got to do it for the Amazon. It's right here. I'm right. a part of it. Yeah. I'm a part of its ecosystem. An alien so, would be like, that's the peat. The peat is in the ecosystem. He eats nachos. So, so not only are we a part of it, but we are conscripted into its very soul. Yes. We are ensouled with the planet. On my podcast, we just talked about how supremacy culture breeds climate injustice. 
Mm. And that the fact that we the fact that we live in a world in a in a universe of supremacy culture um, is why we have to fight all these different injustices. So I'm really hopeful. You know, we, you've got dolphins swimming in the Venice Canal. You've got coyotes on the Golden Gate Bridge, etc. I'm really hopeful that we will take this to heart. Yes. And really think seriously about our radical connectedness to one another and to the planet. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, the, the alternative is destruction. That's right. It's really interesting to hear supremacy used in that way. Uh, obviously, people think white supremacy right. or, or male supremacy, but there's just species supremacy. Yeah. I, I, I know because I used to be one of these people that would eat uh, meat. I know people eat meat, but there's a lot of cultures that have eaten meat that still had that symbiotic relationship. Yeah. It, it wasn't just mass farming. What I'm saying is, it was Tolstoy. People that listen to this podcast probably knew I was going to say this. He says, as long as you have slaughterhouses, you'll have battlefields, mm-hmm. meaning it's building on itself. Yeah. The, su- the supremacy of me saying I can kill this animal because God gave me dominion over it. Right. Is what then gives me dominion over a slave, over a gender. Well, th- that they extrapolate that. I mean, that's, that's their proof texting. That's right. That's, and that's, the most compelling thing I've seen, in fact, whenever, whenever I want to turn the volume up on my own uh, very lax veganism, it's very lax. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trans-vegan. I mean, I'm beyond. Tra- I'm, there's no word. I'm, I'm not, whatever it is that I'm eating, there's You're no You're post-vegan. Word. You're post-vegan. <laughs> I'm post-vegan. <laughs> but whenever I, if I want to get more vegan, there was this TED, I believe it was a TEDx talk called Carnism. It's a little bit hard to watch, but it's, it's still wonderful. Uh, and she makes the great point where slavery and eating of the way that we eat animals is, is there's, there's a relationship there. So yeah. you're, you're talking about being ensouled with the planet. What we're learning in quarantine is, and we're learning it in sort of a fucked up way. You get a package and you go, are there germs on this package? Right. But really what you're doing is, Oh, a human touched this. Yeah. And not like, Val said to me, we were opening packages, we're Lysoling things or whatever, because we're being very careful, you know, with the baby and just because it's good to be careful. Yeah. But you're going like, okay, what was touched by a person? We're doing it out of paranoia, but there's a beautiful underlying message there, which is like a person. Yeah. Our house is filthy. We are so good. Bogar, our cleaner is like, he's like a friend. He's, he's part of the family. We love him. Uh, obviously we're still paying him during all this. That was a no brainer because we care about him. We're also like, Holy shit. Bogart does a fucking lot. Yeah. Val was like, I think he dusts the chairs because yeah. we're noticing that the chairs are dusty. Yeah. Bogart, you fucking dust the chairs where that is an elevation in consciousness. It went from an idea. Our cleaner does a good job. He is, we should give him a, a Christmas present to, mm-hmm. A, a visceral embodied understanding of, I think he's dusting the super Nintendo. Like that, that <laughs> right. is something that again, we're back to you only change when you have to yep. you learn when you have to. And in this quarantine, there's a million lessons that I'm with you. I'm hoping that we're learning and I'm afraid that we'll forget. Oh, I am too. I mean, this country doesn't have a historical memory. Yeah. And so we and we don't know how to be present with the now. Mm. This is Eckhart Tolle's work. 
Yeah. And if we can, if we can figure out how to have a historical memory and be present with the now, we might be able to shift our current reality and respond in, in a generative way. Yeah. I don't want to sound super 41, but I have caught myself going like, I hope the young people that are right at that right age where they're old enough to know, and they're about to be empowered, you know, culturally, they are empowered already, but I mean, they're about to be able to do certain positions, certain jobs, certain this, yeah. that vote, whatever it might be, that they're, I'm starting to have that old person feeling where yeah. like, I hope that they go, wait a minute, we all woke up from that dream, the dream where there aren't dolphins in the canals and there aren't, we all right. woke up. In fact, that's what I knew. And now that we know that potential, we can go back to that. We can start feeding each other in that way. Yeah. I really well, well, I know that it took a while for Tennessee and the South to flatten the curve. Um, my partner and I were living in Midtown just prior to our move. And Midtown is real close to downtown. And so it's a, it's where all the young people live and pedal taverns galore. Mm. And, you know, people were still on pedal taverns. And, you know, my partner and I were just like. That's a what? bike with a bar on it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we were like, what in the actual fuck? Why are these people out on these pedal taverns, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um and I I like you, I am being a uh an old forty-three person saying, I hope that these young children will get their act together. Yeah. And I, I mean I'm I'm thinking about the seven generations that come after me. Yeah, that's right. I, I hope they take charge. I th- and I think they will. I don't, I don't know. I, I think I'm just wired to be a little bit optimistic, but I'm like, I, they're going to see, and I hope they do better than we're doing. Yeah. We're fucking it up. My, I asked my father, tell me if this doesn't sound like a story, like the way that we are stories. I asked my dad when this all started happening, I said, dad, are you staying in? He said, can you picture me staying in? Mm. So what, it, wh- who are you and how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I should have said. Dad, who are you and how do you know? Yeah. Because you are telling me that you are, uh, you, you're being held to play the part of this man. Mm. That is not in the moment. That is not being receptive or adaptive. That is not receiving the, the new story that's being imposed on us. Right. That's saying, no, the old story continues so I'm using my dad as a barometer. I'm like, when he changes, when I get the, the story that he's wearing a mask at Whole Foods or whatever the fuck the next thing is, yeah. I'll go, holy shit, this yeah. is, the stone has been rolled away. <laughs> like, well, they, you know, I think that's the next fashion curve, our masks. What do you mean? I think it's going to be a thing. I think we're all going to be wearing masks. In the future? Yeah, in the future. I, I mean, haven't they been doing it for, it seems like, decades in places like Japan and yeah. Korea? Yeah. They've just been like, yeah. I always used to see a, 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 a person, an East Asian person on an airplane wearing a mask. And as a Westerner, I was always like, you don't want to breathe my air? Right. My air is not good enough for you? This, this <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like, right. <laughs> and also, I don't want you breathing my air. Right. Like, it never even occurred to me. But the mask is for the person wearing it that they might be sick. I was always right. like, you won't breathe good old red, white, and blue air. <laughs> like even that was a commodity. Even right. that was a threat 
Right. Like you you'll come and you'll eat our meats and you'll watch our ball games, but you won't breathe our air. That is a shift. Yeah. You can see. Yeah. I, I think you might be right. I mean, we're going to have Patagonia. I know that's not even my joke, but I've seen it online. We're going to have Patagonia face mask. Right. North face, face mask. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be know, a thing. You know, that question that I started asking myself in 2015, who are you and how do you know, is a modified question from Thomas Aquinas. Hmm. Thomas Aquinas asked this question in, in his writing, who is God and how do we know? And so I, I knew that, that that was a question of the tradition. And I wanted to ask that question, who am I and how do I know? Because I wanted to fit into a larger story than just myself. Mm. And if there's anything that I want to say, is, it, it is this. We are larger than ourselves. Mm. We, this time of quarantine life is exposing the web of connection that we are collectively together in this thing that's right called called coronavirus that's right and we have a chance to shift culture global culture too global culture we're seeing it again in paranoia we go well we're more at risk than ever because of international travel it's like it's also we're becoming awake to the idea that we're all on one motherfucking planet like right that, right you were saying that should inform your politics. Yeah. Isn't it yeah. insane that we cut down our trees, our lungs? Yeah. They create our air. Yeah. We're cutting off our body to make our, our, I don't know, our butts feel a little bit better. I don't even know what we're doing, but the interconnectivity that this is showing us, this is, this is, this is mysticism. This is Christianity. This is everything. The suffering is where the juice is. Yeah. And and I want to relieve that suffering and I want to help. And my heart goes out to people that have this disease and the, and, and the first responders and the medical, medical workers. Obviously. Absolutely. And I'm hopeful if history is an indication that these times tend to, you only change when you have to. That's right. what we're seeing. You only, right. so when we see my dad change, I'll let you know. It'll yeah, be like the please groundhog do. seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a lot uh, about, spirituality i'd love to give you an opportunity as i do with everybody on this show by the way i'm going to send you some cbd uh, oh great thanks I'll, I'll send you a gift pack it, it's charlotte's web they're a sponsor of the show if if people are, are curious about it cwhemp.com slash weird and the promo code for 10 percent off is keep it crispy 19 i swear by it i mean I'm, I'm, I haven't had any today, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that sounds like it's a drug. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it just because I know it's good for me and it makes me feel well. Well, I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah. I'm going to, well, please uh, email me your address and we'll send you a nice care package. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you, Charlotte's Web. So anyway, everybody gets a, a shot. We've sort of been talking about it. I feel like I have a pretty good, uh, uh, at least a cursory understanding of, of your beliefs. What do you, what do you make of reality? <laughs> what is what is your story now? It sounds like you were agnostic. Do you still identify that way? I mean, give, I give think theology. I mean, so here's the deal, Pete. Um, I'm going to use some big words here, but I'll I'll explain them after I use them. I don't think that we have the epistemological capacity to know whether or not there's a God. And what I mean by that is, our brains are so finite, and this concept of God and and who God is, is so beyond our capacity to know 
that the most honest response theologically is to be agnostic mm-hmm. and to say, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I do love the stories of Jesus. And I think that there's an ethic there that we should be following as I think there are stories in the major and minor spiritual traditions that, that are also enlightened that, that we can learn from. Um, I think there are many paths. I think that the, the, the goal is to become one with reality, to become one with what is, mm. And that is both a transcendent and an imminent process. Sometimes we become one when we are having sex with our partner. Sometimes we become one when we take LSD. That there is a process of becoming one. That is, we are always on the cusp of becoming one. Mm. Um. What do I believe about reality? We live in a multiverse, and there is more to this than we can even imagine. Hmm. And imagination is the best thing we have on our sides, as my academic partner, Nikki Young, says. We need to continue to imagine what is, because that will bring about the kind of change we want to see in the world. I love that. I, I know you've heard these before, but in case the listeners haven't, Einstein saying imagination is more important than knowledge. Yeah. Einstein also saying a problem cannot be solved with the same level of consciousness that, st- that started the problem, yeah. which I love. So these are very rational people that keep nudging us and hinting us towards a more expansive, uh, Richie Rohr says a panoramic, yeah. which, is, which is really, I love just walking around and trying to look with a panoramic gaze, which is my understanding of contemplative prayer, at least part of it Mm -hmm. is looking at reality. Instead of going, there is a blue flower. You go, there's a swath of something that is, that I am part of that. I don't understand. Yeah. I was just talking about that, uh, that faith, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is, is certitude. That's a Richie Rohr thing. Yeah. A lot of people of faith think that faith is certainty, but he's saying, He's sort of right in line with you. I don't. I know he doesn't identify as, a, as as an agnostic, but he's saying the only position is to say I don't know. Yeah. The process of faith is finding an experiential love, something yeah. a oneness that you experience mm-hmm. that you can't know, but that you can become. Yeah. Certainly temporarily with people like Christ, we're seeing people that became it uh, permanently or just were it. Yeah. And we have other stories of that. But it's beyond the brain. Einstein is pointing us there. Yeah. The mystics are pointing us yeah. there. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. This is why Penn Jillette, I say this a million times, I guess it's a point of pride. He's a very brilliant atheist. We agree on everything. Yeah. Except language. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that goes like, we don't know. It could be an old man in the sky. We don't know. I'm like, that's what I consider faith. That living in the tension. Yeah is and the holding together of opposites. Yeah, I think it's the most faithful orientation that I can have as a theologian is to say I don't know. Brilliant. I love and it. and to also show up um when I preach or when I just attend church and to also communicate the same level 
of faithfulness of, I don't know. Mm, That's interesting. Are you saying then that you commit to things in your unknowing in hopes, not hopes, that sounds wish fulfillment-y, but let me say what I do. I do certain things, meditation. I said this to Science Mike, because it's a chance for me to get out of the way. So whatever it is that's at work, something unknown is doing something we know not what. If that can get a chance to get at me, if I can shut off my brain, meditating is is a way to sort of let the mystery whisk me away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing things. You do go to church. I do go to church. I go to Grace Point Church here in Nashville. I mean, I go to YouTube church now. Right. Yeah. But yeah, my partner and I, we go to Grace Point Um, when I'm in town. I mean, I'm on the road a lot. um, And so when I'm in town, we'll go to Grace Point and I I participate in the community and I read their emails and um, the pastor is a dear friend of mine. And um, I love hearing Josh Scott preach and, and my showing up is part of my commitment to um, the unfolding mystery of what is Mm. and participating in the ensoulment of this world. I love that. Including everything. Yeah. Having a, having a big enough table that your doubt and even your disbelief, I'm not saying yours, Robin, I'm just saying anybody's has a seat at the table. Absolutely. And your emotions and your mood and your reluctance yeah. can all sit down and experience something. I like that it's called Grace Point because the more that I get into this and, and Richie, Rich, Richard Rohr is helping me get back, that was never the goal, get back into uh, enjoying Christianity again. But he, he's like, God is mercy. God yeah. is grace. God is mystery. Uh, and that is that is always something that anybody can get into, which, by the way, is why they call it good news. And we've turned it into bad news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I just was, you know, I was having this conversation with Josh. Um, we get together a couple times a month or used to for a burger and beer. And we always try to figure out how we can collaborate when I so Josh is a pastor at Grace Point, And, you know, Josh and I were talking and he and I both were like leaving Christianity, leaving it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and let's do something different. But, but we both individually have found ourselves leaning more into Christianity in a productive and a generative way because we believe there's something there that, that is worth pursuing. Mm. And so in as much as I can, I try to lean into the tradition yeah. and critique it from the inside and out and use every bit of analysis but I think there's something there to be had. And if we can turn it back into good news, it will create conditions for you and I to have biscuits and gravy at my table next time. That's right. Which is very practical. Yeah. Which is back outside of ideology and right. inside of love and inside of the present. Exactly. It's using something that is anybody that I would respect in religion would say that it is not perfect. No. Um, but it's sort of what we have. Right. <laughs> right. So <laughs> we have. Richie makes this great point where he's like, he's like the reason I stick with religion and he always says, believe it or not, I'm still a priest. He's still in good standing. He's like, is because like psychology isn't enough. We need something that, that shoves us off the edge into mystery. By the way, there, there are plenty of non-religious people listening that find wonder and find Marvel and find awe and find infinity. And uh, you don't need me to say this, but for what it's worth, that's just as good. 
for me, I keep coming back like you. I keep coming back mm-hmm. to these things and, and finding value. And I will say in as often as I leave it, I come back to it. But Robin, I know you know this for fuck's sake, you're a theologian, but, and I'm a comedian, but I, every, Christ tells three parables of something lost and returning. There's a coin there's a the prodigal son, which he says should be called the loving father mm-hmm. because the father is, is right. the, the headliner of that story. And there's a third one. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's something that's lost, that's gained. This is what was never explained to me because you probably shouldn't explain it to teenagers, maybe, that losing it is part of it. You're supposed to... I think the other one is the sheep, apart. right? The, the shepherd oh, loses the sheep. The leaving the 99. That's yeah. right. So... It's right in front of our faces. Yeah. You have Christ breaking Sabbath. You have Christ uh, continually telling people. You have Paul, which I know is, you know, Paul is sort of a dicey thing, but he keeps saying the law won't save you and all this yeah. stuff. It's all grace. It's all love. Like you're doing it wrong. And yet we took all of that and we turned it into something that was like, uh, you better be a good boy or girl. You better fall in line. And by the way, we're back at our capitalistic patriarchal. Yeah water you yeah be an achiever yeah like my family and we, me have such a hard time with losers with people who don't make who don't produce right it's been really challenging for me to go like you are hard on people who don't make money who don't have fame who don't have right. value talent fuck you pete i'm talking to that <laughs> i'm talking to that part of me yeah he, yeah yeah i want him to have less real estate at the table he can still sit at the table yeah sure and steer in the car what were you gonna say i'm so sorry. well we we've turned this story of mystery and goodness and truth into empire religion mm-hmm. and it's toxic and it's killing people that's and right. it's what's created supremacy culture that's right i isn't that oh go ahead well i'm just i'm just I just want to wonder with you and if we can, if we can return it to the good news that it once was. Yeah. I'm feeling a strong feeling that we need a bonfire and biscuits yeah. and yes. 30 feet and something that's not too heady. Your partner and Val can lead the dancing. Yep. Yep. Uh, you and I can do a talk. Yeah. Uh, where we don't, where we talk about how we don't know. Right. Because there's, there's just too much Facebook posting and not enough dirty feet. And, yeah. And, and, and that's what we're craving. I really think. Pete, the, the, the goal here of my work is helping people get their hands dirty mm-hmm. with their own stories, with the earth, with other people. And so listen, man, you're welcome at my table for biscuits and gravy anytime. <laughs> I, I, I want to do it. Not just because we're in quarantine. This sounds like something we need to do for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's so great talking to you. And again, I, I, I didn't know anything about you, but I was like, I love, and I hope you find comfort in this too. It's just like, we're the same. Yeah. It's like, this isn't a conversation as I think the script says, oh, Pete's talking to the binary, non-binary queer theologian. We should talk about that. This is the same fucking story yeah. in different swirls, different waves. And they're not even different. It's the same fucking ocean. It's just so where, nice where The way I think about it is we are becoming one with one another by crossing our dialects. Mm. It's the same language, just a different dialect. That's right. 
And isn't it funny that there's value if there, so talk about one of the values of religion to know that I can talk to you and we'll probably know who Eckhart Tolle is that we know right. The story of the parables, whatever it might be. Maybe that's just the ground that our feet get dirty on. Yeah. Maybe that's the biscuits, the intellectual biscuits. Right. And there's some value right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's always always been my sports. I don't really know anything about uh, the Red Sox, but I I can tell you that Ephesians is uh, between Philippians and (laughs) (laughs) my 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 partner's from Boston, and so I get corrected a lot about the Northeast and and whatnot and, and how the Red Sox reign. So I don't know much about sports either. (laughs) I've always said on this podcast that the South and Boston have a lot in common just because there's so many different kinds of people. Yeah. New England is so small. Boston is so small. I don't get me started. People are always like, Oh, we're pack the con and we're Red Sox. We're also MIT and we're also Harvard for fuck's sake. Right. And and there's evangelicals and the and there's fundamentalists and there's uh, there's a huge queer. I went to school in Cambridge. Yeah, most of my teachers were were queer. Yeah, most, like so. There's everything happening, and I think there's something. But there's also this intense cultural identity. I'm yeah. from fucking Boston. What does that even mean? Who right. are you and how do you know? What does that mean? Right. Because I'm from Boston and I couldn't tell you one person who played on the Red Sox. I'm still from Boston. Right. Fucking deal with it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and you're from the South. Yeah. And, and that is that is beautiful. Yeah. Well, we, we've gotten heady. I, I don't think I have to tell you that I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Um, I always end because we do get a little bit deep with this question and don't feel pressure. Sometimes people feel pressure. Can you remember a time that you laughed really, really hard? Maybe the hardest in your life. You know, when my partner talks in a Southern accent, so she's, <laughs> so she's from Boston, okay? And she has this Kentucky accent. And it's, it's everything. That's great. It's everything. That's all you need. Yep. Val and I, there's no way to capture it on film or a documentary because it only exists in those very intimate, quiet moments. Right. But the amount of, she'll be changing Leela's diaper or something and I'll just take my butt out and do a silly dance and do it for seven minutes. Cause I'm waiting for her to turn around. That is the joy of partnership for me to have that, that language and that yeah. humor. So I understand yeah. exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You ever want to do a Boston accent back at her? Uh, Jason Manzukas, even though I'm from Boston, he helped me get in touch. It's the word burglar and smuggler. It's burglar and smuggler. It's not, <laughs> not pack the car. You say, are you a drug smuggler? That's how you do it. That's, uh, I don't think I can do it. Himself. I don't think I can do it. <laughs> well, practice in the quiet yeah. moments. Uh, Robin, thank you so much. Is there anything? What's the name of your podcast? Let's plug that. The Activist Theology Podcast. People, please check that out. I feel like we're going to talk again. Yeah, Pete. But you're going to come over and have biscuits and gravy. I can't wait. And Val, what's your partner's name? Aaron. Aaron and Val are going to we're going to get our stiff. <laughs> our stiff hips. We're going to be our moving. Stiff arrhythmic hips. We're going to move them. I recommend the song You're So Gangsta by Chromio. That really gets people moving. Yeah. Uh, 
Thank you so much. Oh, so, thanks, Pete. This was great. You've really created a space of love in my heart today. Mm. And I, I, I hope you feel it too. And I so much love to you. I appreciate it. Oh, love to you too. Love will change the world. That's right. That's right. Hallmark be damned. It's something real and it's something special. That's right. Would you say what we have the guests say? I think you know because you listen to Science Mike. Would you say keep it crispy? It's how we end. Yeah, man. Keep it real crispy. <laughs> <laughs> keep it southern fried crispy man. that's right that is it keep it hot and crispy i love that thank you so much Robin. thank you we'll talk again all right bye-bye bye are we good tony yes sir all righty good stuff yeah that all was right. awesome yeah that was great p thanks so much yeah my pleasure that was that really fed me today i need yeah to and i'm serious man next time you're in nashville we'll have you over for for a dinner or a meal of some sort. I would love that. And it's weird to think that we're like three tweets away from getting a group together in a, in a park with a grill. Listen, I, I think, I think you're onto something. I think that, I mean, whenever we can get back to whatever the future looks like, yeah. we can get back to the future. That's right. Um, it might be worth thinking about something. I, I'm, we're craving it. And that's made me realize how much I need it. Yeah. And so yeah. let's do that. I so, so keep me posted. And let me know when you're in LA. And I will. I, please email me your address and I'll send you some C- uh, Charlotte's Web. Right okay, now. great. Thank you. Okay.